Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have psychic medium, Mary Ann Kennedy. Now, Mary Ann is Canada's leading psychic. And today, we have a conversation about the future, about what is going to happen to humanity, where we're all going, and what all of this means for our spiritual growth and evolution. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Mary Ann Kennedy. How are you doing, Mary Ann? I am good. How are you, Alex? I'm good, my dear. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to talk to you. I don't. I have had only a handful of psychics on psychic mediums on the show, and uh, it's something that we haven't really delved into a lot. But I've been fascinated with psychics and mediums pretty much as long as I can think about since I was a kid. Since it's culturally something that I came up with as a as a Latino kid growing up, you hear about psychic mediums and you know, oh, go to her. She'll tell you it's the future and all this kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, so my first question to you is what was your life like before these abilities came into full force and how did you deal with it when it did come in? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm uh, I'm the youngest of four kids. And so when I was growing up, I was really quiet. So I didn't talk a lot. I didn't express a lot about, you know, how my um, world was on the interior um, but I wouldn't say I was a psychic kid necessarily. I, I was definitely observant, very observant, over observant. Um, I could notice nuances in, you know, tone of people's voices, how adults would move. I would notice those things that later on in my life, I realized wasn't ordinary necessarily for, you know, a seven, eight, nine year old to notice those things necessarily. But when I was 11, we had a psychic card reader come to our house now my mom is italian okay and i was raised Mm -hmm. roman catholic so you know they don't really talk about these things certainly don't practice these things um but for whatever reason my mom agreed with her friends to have a psychic tarot card reader come over and um it was interesting it was very synchronistic that that same week before she was arriving i was watching a tv show it was based in the states of course i'm in canada Mm -hmm. and Um, the TV show that I was watching was about a family of witches. Um, but it was real. It was a talk show. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, fiction. So they had a real family. They lived in Salem, Massachusetts at the time. And Mm -hmm. it really caught my attention. So when you mentioned Alex, that you were sort of fascinated, I was too, but really not until that moment when I was Mm -hmm. about 11 or so. And then the following week, the, the psychic card reader came over and I had asked my mom, that would it be okay if I asked her 
um, a couple of questions after she was done everyone's readings. And my mom, to my surprise, said yes. <laughs> and I did. I had a really long conversation with her about witches, tarot cards, psychics, uh, mediums. And she was really, really helpful to me. Um, and when I expressed the interest in that TV show that I had just watched and to learn about earth-based religions and paganism and witchcraft, um, she had introduced me to a longtime friend of hers um, who was also a practicing pagan who actually took me on as a student, all of which wow. on, on, on sort of uh, furled over the next several months with my mom's permission that there was a woman I would talk with over the phone and she'd send me books to read and she would be a mentor and a teacher for me for over a year. And I was only 11. So being raised Roman Catholic, this was no go. It was very under the radar. So even my dad didn't know about it. My mom didn't share any of this information. <laughs> so I stayed in that practice as a young person. And I wasn't socially, this wasn't a social practice for me. It was singular. I had no friends that did anything like this. No one that was interested in, you know, walking in forests and feeling into plants and whether or not they were alive. Um, but a, a, a few years later, I lost my... Uh, maternal grandparents. And I and I find that even as adults, but especially with young people, when something traumatic happens in life, and it was the first death or deaths that I experienced, um, we tend to revert back to things that are comfortable and comforting to us, things that we know, places we find warmth. And so when I lost my grandparents, I sort of let go of my um, pagan earth-based witchcraft study and practice. And I actually came back to church. I mean, I had to go to church every Sunday when I was a kid and both of my grandparents, my maternal ones being Italian, it was a very, very religious time in saying goodbye to their departed souls. And so I came back to, um, a more traditional practice, uh, when I lost them, but, uh, that only lasted a short while. And then I found myself back, you know, exploring the universe in different ways, but, um, that was my introduction to sort of psychic based experiences. Um, I was initially called, you know, attracted to something in the universe, and then the universe laid out an opportunity for me to explore that. In the context of mediumship and, and, and psychic work that I do, um, the mediumship portion of that really began again out of loss. Um, in my 20s, I lost my father. And I had done a lot of psychic work and psychic practices before that, but I was never interested in mediumship communicating with the other side. I mean, yes, I was aware of spirit people, but I, I didn't have meaningful communication with them because I had no desire to. And then when I lost my dad, I decided that I wanted to find out where he was and I wanted to know if he was okay. And I wanted to ask questions about him, questions to him, questions about my own life. I had big questions form out of loss. And so my journey into mediumship came from loss, which is true for a lot of us, but not, not all of us. Um, and I took it on as a matter of study. And so I was very studious about it. I studied, I sat in classes, I sat in workshops, I traveled, I practiced more than anybody I ever knew. Um, and so I took it on that way and became very, very good at it. And in a matter of somewhere between a year and two years of study, I started working professionally. And that was 12 or 13 years ago. And so that's sort of what brought me into the work of mediumship. So first of all, Marianne, is when you think of psychic medium or with a psychic in general, your image is not the first thing that pops into my head. Uh, that's, the, yeah, that's what I, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot from students I work with as well. I kind of sort of like dispel the myth a little bit, but that's actually part of the philosophy of my work is to take yeah. the veil away, like right. to normalize 
the idea that we, you know, that this ability to connect with the spirit world, to tune in psychically to the unified field, to understand future possibilities, all of that is very natural for almost everybody. But most people shut that down. I remember a number of years ago, I was being interviewed after my first book was released. And when the interviewer arrived in my office, they walked in and said, verbatim, I thought that I'd see crystals hanging from the walls and seeing the the, the windows covered in purple drapes. <laughs> so I think I bust the stereotype a little bit, but I think that that's a good thing. Well, no, without question, because again, that that kind of like tarot card reading at a carnival, you know, what the movies have put out over the years and televisions put out over the years is what has been kind of, it kind of dismisses it as a kind of like a, a large, like, oh, look at that kind of crazy where you're perform your the way you do your work from my understanding at least it's done very professionally you know, you treat it like a practice a service uh that you do and i think the new generation of psychic mediums are trying to approach it in such a manner where it doesn't it's not as woo woo if that makes any sense as it used to be it totally makes sense a couple of years ago i actually wrote an article that was published about the power of words and it specifically addresses, I think it's interesting that you used the word woo-woo because it addresses the word woo-woo and how, you know, we can throw that word around to describe the type of things that we do or what we're interested in to folks that don't really understand, you know, if we were to anatomize our work, they might say, what is, what are all the parts of that thing? I don't understand it. So we might use woo-woo, but you know, the origin, the origin of the use of that word is to diminish what we're doing. And I, right. I don't do that. And I don't want to do that. I'm not a proponent of that. I, I, I talk and teach to my students and in my books about the, the power of words and how, you know, you get to name what it is that you do use a word or words or phrases that you feel empower what you do and don't diminish it by, by describing it as something that um, is gimmicky or hard to understand or unnatural in some way. Um, it's mm -hmm. it's disempowering to step into that language, and I really try to, not only within the you know my own practice, my own work, but because I have the honor of teaching hundreds and thousands of students over the years, um, I try to guide them in that same direction so that they can have a deeper love and respect and honoring of themselves and what it is that they do. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Now, I, this is something I've always wanted to ask a psychic. I've never th thought to ask this, but it's just popped into my head. I, I speak to a lot of channelers. I've, speak to, I've spoken to a lot of mediums. And I have some of my best friends are psychics and mediums and channelers. So I get to ask like, you know, off air, deep questions. I'm like, Dude, seriously, how is this like, what's going on? Uh, and I find out a little bit more detail about it. From your perspective, or at least in your abilities, what does a psychic tap into in order to see what is coming in the future? Because there's the Akashic Records, there's channeling, there's all these other mediums, like it could be just something. something what is your process? Yeah. So, you know, when we tune it's, it's when we talk about the future, for the most part, we are talking about when we perceive the future, we're looking mostly at possibilities and probabilities. That's what we're working with, because free will choice is mostly at play. What I know from spirit is that, you know, a very small amount of things that we experience in a life are predetermined by us in our own mm -hmm. pre-birth planning. And so much of what we experience 
is in flux and is not predetermined and is based on not only free will choice that we have, but free will choice of people that intersect with our lives. So when we talk about the future, you know, if I were to take, you know, 20 readings that were futuristic in a month, probably something like 30% of that would feel like if I'm looking at a future event that this is absolutely going to happen. And 70% of it is this is likely uh, based on decisions that you're on the trajectory to make, but we can influence that and we can change the future and we can co-create with the universe to have an alternate outcome from what we're uh, currently on track for. So when we tune, you know, psychically speaking, when we're working psychically, we're perceiving information that's available in the field. Okay, it's it, we're simply coming into an understanding or an awareness of information that's there. You're made of information. I've ma I'm made of information. Situations are made of information. Vibration is information, and so we become aware of that information. And um, anyone can do that. But what we're doing is perceiving. That's what we're doing. And then the the, the future part in relation to that, as I said, um, you know, time is. We perceive it linearly on this continuum, but it's so much bigger than that. It's so much more complex than that. Um, and so, you know, I call it the field. I call it, you know, if I'm talking about a person, we're turning, in, we're turning into a person's field. Um, we are all part of the unified field together, right? And so that perception of us being separate is not correct, energetically speaking, right? We can shrink time, space, our perception of time, space, and be together. It's the same way with spirit people. You know, when I'm working with clients, and a spirit person may be talking to me about a picture that a client is looking at behind the computer screen. I can't see anything, I don't know that. And then they say to me, I'm looking at that picture right now. How could they see me looking at that and show it to you at the same time? You know, because spirit people can be in many places all at once. Um, and so, you know, the idea that we're, that linear perception of disconnect is a total illusion. Um, and I've had so many experiences to substantiate that in my life. Um, you know, that's what I call the field is that, you know, it, it, it's our connection point, which so is just, everywhere and anywhere. So just like in our soul blueprint or our, our pre-birth planning, there are giant, uh, you know, markers along the road that we are going to hit. How we get to those markers is kind of in flux. Is that pretty much the same for humanity? Like there are going to be like 9-11 was going to happen and it wasn't going to be mm -hmm. in flux. So mm -hmm. World War II was going to happen. It was not going to be in flux. These giant markers for humanity's consciousness mm -hmm. is as well. So there's certain, th th those are probably live in the 30%. They're like, no, that's, that's going to happen unless the entire society, entire humanity's consciousness changes course, that's going to happen because we need to go through that. But that's why sometimes they're like, oh, the psychic told me I was going to meet the, the man of my dreams or the woman of my dreams. And it didn't happen. Well, probably because certain things go off track. Is that fair? Yeah, that can definitely be the case. And I would say, yes, I mean, it's always the case, whatever, you know, perspective or level of altitude you're viewing something from, you know, from a soul-based perspective, there's the microcosm and the macrocosm. And, you know, what you're talking about, Alex, is, you know, the blueprint of the soul, the individual, that unique expression of consciousness, but then the all consciousness, really, it, it is like a mirror like that. It's what you're talking about, right? We have ours, and all of us together also have one. So that's what I um, know to be real as well. Um, but yes, absolutely. To answer that question, um, we can take ourselves off a course that we were um, either at some point projected to be on, 
or that we uh, planned to be on uh, before we incarnated, and we can get we can get a little bit off track. That, that it, and I and I have found that to be true. Um, and sometimes we're so far off track that, in fact, let's let's use an example. If there was someone that we're you know we were destined to meet based on the plan, based on the contracts, the soul contracts in place, um, we can um, through our own free will choice um, really come so far off track that 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 union, that connection may not even occur in this lifetime anymore. Mm. So those things can happen. So when you are actually doing a reading, are you seeing images, a video, if you will, or someone actually, or do you hear voices of some sort? All of the above. So, so I have a pretty highly developed, uh, clairvoyant, clairsentient, clairaudient, claircognizant. I see, hear, feel, I know, um, in all variations. Um, and it does, ha and it happens sort of evenly between the two. And I, and, and I talk to folks who are first learning, you know, mediumship or psychic work. Um, they're usually pretty good at one clair. You know, they might be able to hear something. They might be able to see something clearly. But over time, you tend to develop all of them all together. And they work in unison um, when mm -hmm. you're connecting with spirit or when you're working psychically. Um, so, yeah, I receive and perceive information through all of those ways. Very interesting. Now, as as a psychic, um, hold on a second. I lost my train of thought completely. <laughs> I apologize. It was a very good question, by the way. It was an extremely good question I had in my head, but I was so into what you were saying. I lost my train of thought. It's okay. You might come back to it. <laughs> so, um, okay. Hold on a second. Give me a second. We're going to edit this part. Yeah, out. No I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> hold on a second. What was that? It was such a good question too. I, I if I say so myself, um, Boom, boom. It was about to Billy. Damn it. I forgot. All right, let's move on to okay. something else. Um, oh, I got it. There it is. It just came back. So you seem to be a very well put together person. I mean, your <laughs> background, you're very well dressed. You're, you're very articulate about what, and you are pretty much out of the closet as a psychic medium. There is nothing about it otherwise. I'm assuming that wasn't always the case when you finally decided to come out to your friends and family as, Hey guys, I'm a professional psychic medium. Now let's open up a website. Let's write some books. How did you deal with that psychologically? And was it a challenge for you? Or did, was it easy? That is an excellent, excellent question. Um, and it's, it's such a good question because, you know, when people are learning to be mediums or learning to be psychics, um, this is a big hang up that most people have is what do I do with this, you know, it, coming out of the closet, the psychic closet or the medium closet, and being afraid, you know, and, and rightfully so, because historically speaking, you know, it doesn't <laughs> leave our DNA that at some point, some of our ancestors were killed or were rejected from society or were ridiculed. So um, those, those sort of traumas that way, still can exist for people whether they're really aware of it or not. Um, for me personally, um, you know, I have an interesting, I have an interesting uh, life, I guess, as it relates to being a, a professional psychic medium. You know, I have formal education. I have an undergraduate degree. I've, I worked professionally for a number of years while also being a professional psychic medium um, and then deciding to, you know, leave that practice entirely and work on my work professional, uh, you know, full time. But um, so, you know, 
I don't know. I don't know what being put together means, but I, I, you know, I, I, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. I'm a, you know, I'm a best-selling published author, and so I'm do. You know, I think that my, uh, my, my abilities as a medium, um, you know, ha have helped me to uh, get to where I am professionally, um, but also, you know, who I am in general. Um, you know, my, I, I, I like to use my intelligence in good ways, and so I'm a teacher of this work. And I like to work with people still directly um, back going back to when I first decided to share. Um, yeah, hmm. I mean, you know, something happens to all of us when we share our true nature, if it is outside of any box. And what happens is people literally will just vibrate out of our lives. We're no longer a match, vibrationally speaking, or our consciousness is, you know, there is too much disparity between us that we can't hold meaningful relationship. And did that happen to me? It definitely happened to me. And it happens to a lot of people. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And we can mourn that. And I think mourning has to be a part of that. But in order to step into our higher purpose, um, you know, it tends to happen that if your purpose isn't aligned with the beliefs of other people, that you shed those people along the way and your path becomes, it tends to become more and more solitary. But it, even if it's not solitary, I mean, community is very important, but the community tends to stay small. Um, and that's the way that that's the way that it goes. But it is important to have community. Um, for me, it was definitely a leap of faith, but I let spirit sort of lead the way for me. But, the, you know, and what, what does that mean? What does it mean for spirit to lead the way? For me, I used my clients or the people that I would read for as my benchmark. If my work was being received meaningfully, if it was powerful, if it was accurate, if it served its, you know, the basic purpose of mediumship, which is to demonstrate continuity of consciousness after physical death. If I could do that, then it really didn't matter to me what people that weren't involved in the process had to think about it. I used the people that I was helping, the people I was in service to, to be the marker for me, to say, should I be doing this? Am I good at this? Is this needed? And at any time and over time, as that, that continued to be consistently yes, um, I made the decision that this is where I felt like I was living on purpose. And I felt like I was in the flow every time I was working. And so that was my decision. And um, yes, sure, there's some fear, but it's like that 20 seconds of courage, get out and say it, and then it's out there, you know, and then you do have consequences afterward. But as you're stepping deeper into purpose, those things become easier to let go and to surrender to loss. Now, this is another thing I hear so many people uh, ask me about psychic mediums is do you do predictions for yourself like if you can see the future why did you go into your other field why didn't you just come out as a psychic if you knew all of the you know these are these are the what ifs that I hear a lot yeah. of so I'd love to hear your thoughts sure yeah that's a good question I do not read for myself um, I do not uh, tap into my future field I don't do it I don't want to do it um, one of the things that I, you know, and I think that if you can, you know, my work is surrounded in death and loss. Okay. Mm. So um, I'm working with grief an awful lot. I have to manage my own energy very attentively um, because, you know, like energetic osmosis can happen. I spend a lot of time with people who are grieving and that can easily impact or affect my own energy field. Um, 
And so uh, what I've learned in, I could never count how many times I've connected with a spirit person, but what I've learned over time is to enjoy the now, to be here now. The moment of power is now. Make decisions for now. Make decisions for the future. But I don't really need to know all that's coming out ahead of me. I need to be aware of what I have going on now and what I intend to walk into in the future with the understanding that, you know, none of us are supposed to know all of the plan. I think it would be maddening and it would be frightening to us, right? Because- you know, the most basic fear is the fear of death, which all of us experience. So it is not helpful. And what I know from spirit, of course, always is that it's not helpful to know these things ahead of time. It's simply not. So I simply don't inquire. I simply don't need to know what I need to know. I don't ask for it comes to me. If there is something that spirit or a spirit guide or an angel or an ancestor, one of my own loved ones needs me to know, then they'll transmit that information to me. So I trust that I will know what I need to know and whatever I don't need to know, I won't know. And I don't inquire. Yeah, I I would agree with you 100% because when I was younger and I spoke to psychics, I would always ask, what's going to happen? When am I going to be famous? When when am I going to make it big? When all these kind of like insecure you're very insecure when you're asking those kind of questions as now i have access to i could call i have a rolodex of channels mediums and psychics i could call and get a call like hey can you just i would never i don't want to know i I just don't i just don't you as well i'm sure can have someone read for you if you don't want to tap in yourself and it's just something like i really don't want to know what's happening in 10 years i can barely deal with what's happening now (laughs) You know, there have been circumstances, you know, in my life where there might be a situational specific thing that I can't get impartial about, you know, when you tap into the field, especially if you use tools like divining tools, maybe a pendulum or dowsing rods, um, you if you have preference to an outcome or to an answer, you can actually influence the information, which means it's not correct, right? So um, there have been times over the years, very sparingly, where there might be a situationally specific situation that there's something I need to know about it. And I feel like, you know, it's sitting at the edge of my fingertips, but because I can't go neutral about it, I wouldn't trust any information. And in that case, there might be a very trusted person that I might connect with and ask. But as I say, that would be um, very few and far between and situationally specific, not a general, you know, prediction or projection into the future. Now the the million dollar question is: Do you see dead people? <laughs> <laughs> I do yeah. see dead people every single so, day of my life. <laughs> so yeah, so that's my question because I know a lot of them, a lot of mediums, they set rules and boundaries and like mm-hmm. you know you turn mm-hmm. the open sign on, you turn the open sign closed. I don't want you coming in the shower. Like you know, are you Whoopi Goldberg and ghosts? Like, <laughs> what is your experience dealing with with the other side in that way? For sure. I mean, I, I mean, we all have to have boundaries, but not all people do. Um, I've worked with a number, a number of students over the years who, you know, may have come from other teachers and then, you know, they find their way to me at some point and, you know, they were never taught boundary. And so they would perceive spirit people everywhere. I mean, one thing that people tend to not think of is that the reality that actually spirits are everywhere. They're everywhere. They're in the grocery store. They're at the, you know, the laundry mat, the, the hair salon, they're everywhere. So if you can perceive spirit people and you don't have a boundary around your ability, your life can be really inundated, you know, because all of that energy also perceives you. 
Um, and when they know that you can perceive them, especially if it's an untransitioned spirit, it might be a grounded spirit or a ghost, they become very interested in you because you elicit some kind of response to them. And then they feel like, um, you know, they have some meaning to what they're doing here. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I definitely have a boundary. It's well, very well established. I only have one exception to my boundary. And I teach this to students and I talk about it in my books as well, is that, you know, my own spirit people, my own spirit family, I don't have a boundary for them. They can reach me in a live feed at any time. The same as with my spirit guides, my guardian angels, the same idea. There's no boundary around them. I want to be accessible to them if I ever need immediate assistance without ever knowing I needed it. So with the exception of my own family, there's always a boundary in place. So I have a very, like, very clear on or open sign and off closed sign. Um, and I have to, I have to, I have to function. You know, the best psychics and mediums, when I say best, I mean, the ones that are high functioning, um, you know, and can occupy basically a foot in the other world and a foot in this world. You know, we have the most well-defined boundaries and take good care of our energy. Um, and part of that is that boundary that says, this is when it's okay. And this is when it's unacceptable. So don't be Whoopi Goldberg in ghost towards because then like there's a crowd of ghosts that are trying to come in and stuff wh well you know that's funny but in some cases our experience like my experience can be quite like that you know when i'm working with galleries <laughs> when i'm working on a stage i have hundreds of spirit people in a line and i perceive them that way they're in a line ready to blend and merge with me <laughs> so yeah so that was the next question do they do they do like the whoopi goldberg when they come through you or do you just hear them talking you relay the message uh, no, I don't hear them talking. And I think it's important to um, really, like, again, like remove the veil a little bit. Spirit mm -hmm. people, as you can think logically, they don't have bodies anymore. They've left them behind. That means that they don't look like anything. It also means they don't have voice boxes. And it also means that they can't speak. Spirit people do not talk. We as mediums may perceive voice or sound coming toward us. But if spirit people could just talk, then there's no translation factor needed. I could just say, oh, hi, I've got your mom here. Her name's Mary and her license plate was this and this was her birthday and this was her phone number. None of us do that. And that's because spirit people don't speak. Um, so and, and, and in mediumship, spirit people aren't communicating to us from afar. You know, they're not across the room or walking into my office, sitting down and talking to me. They actually merge with us. They blend with our energy. And that's why if you talk to most mediums, you know, professional enough ones, you know, they'll say it, it always feels like the information's coming from inside of me, mm. even though it's not from me. And that's because spirit people merge or blend with us in our aura, and then they transmit information. So for me, um, yes, I have, you know, I, I'll know things or have impressions of things I, I shouldn't know. Um, I see images, I do see movies play, I may hear sounds, I, I do hear words, but it's my own voice speaking to myself. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, and, and mediumship is really like, it's a three-step process. There's an input. So you have to be able to receive spirit. If your aura, your, your frequency is inhospitable, not a match, not close match to spirit, they can never merge with you. It's like oil and, and water. And then there's the translation or the processing factor. So we receive spirit, receive information. Then we have to make sense out of it because their language is mostly symbolic. It's mostly symbolic because they can't talk. It's like, playing charades, but even more difficult because they also don't have bodies. So they can't act things out, but they use our own mental faculties, you know, so, you know, mediumship, evidential mediumship is mental mediumship. Spirit people use our mental faculties to relay information through 
um, you know, references that mean things to us. You know, so if I've ever been to Disneyland, they want me to talk about Disneyland. They'll have me think of my own memory there, even though it's not my memory I'm supposed to talk about, it's theirs. So they use our own faculties to translate or understand what it is that they want to say. And then the third part of mediumship is to deliver it. So you have to receive it, process it, and then you have to deliver it to someone. So my process is to see, feel, hear, know all of that. But it's but it's not like I'll use Whoopi again. It's not like they take over your body and you're gone. It's like they just merge energetically with you. You are 100% in control, 100% there. Your voice doesn't drop five octaves. Correct. I am. I am entirely there. Um, in some forms of deep trance mediumship, you may have your body animated in some way, um, but evidential mediumship um, and mental mediumship doesn't look like that. And that's not how it's experienced by the medium. We're not in full surrender mode. This is so interesting. This just came up in a class I was teaching the other day, um, you know, as opposed to channeling where you have to entirely surrender and move out of the way right? The information comes in and out. You're not doing any processing before words come out mostly, right? Right. So in mediumship, that's not the case. The surrender part is only in receiving. It's just in the receivership. You have to be blank, open, no mind, available for spirit. But then in fact, your mind is working. It is working to translate or process the information. So it's not a full surrendering of self. Yeah, that's the that's the big difference when 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 I we work with psychics or and I've spoken to psychics, they're trying to decipher the images that are coming in and trying to explain it in the best way they can. And sometimes they do hear voices and sometimes it's a little clearer than others, but generally they're just trying to process it as opposed to a channel who is and it depends if there's multiple kinds of channels. There's you know, but they say call it a trans channel that comes in and they're gone. There is no processing from my understanding mm-hmm. when they have to come through. And this is a question for you though. The to, to receive a channel, your body needs to be primed. Your nervous system needs to be primed for the energy that comes in. If not, you can blow a circuit. And that is, you know, you it's overwhelming from what I understand with channels. How was it for you the first few times that you actually talked to spirit in in, in a deep way? or even for a client. I mean, the first time you did this for a client, how freaky was it for you, seriously? Well, of course, you know, the first time I did this wasn't for a client. It's important in mediumship to develop good, to develop slowly. So the first time I did this was would be with a volunteer, right? It Mm. wouldn't be, there wouldn't be an exchange um, per se. And so um, the first time I did it, when I first received spirit into my aura, Um, The feeling was warm physically. I felt very warm immediately. I also felt very dizzy to begin with. Um, Mm. And, you know, some old style, sometimes um, like, um, what do they call them? Um, Well, here in Canada, they're like uh, spiritualist churches. They have them in the States too. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, students will practice mediumship standing up. Um, And that is a way to do it. And and it is good to practice that. But I always say to students, you know, before COVID, when we would all be, you know, teaching and learning in person, I I would have students sit down for their first several times connecting with spirit, because it can throw you off kilter, you can feel off balance, dizzy, warm, Uh, but nothing about it is really frightening. Um, But it is a bit of an odd sensation. And we also, you know, in mediumship, we have to prime our energy field, but we also have to prime our physical body. Um, there's a deep relaxation that you need to establish in your body in order to receive spirit as well. And then over time, you know, when you start, if, if, you know, if you do this work long enough and you work with, you know, galleries and, 
and stage work, you know, you have to walk around and talk and, and, and move and hold a mic and all these things. And so you can't fully relax your body, but that takes time to be able to not be in a full relaxation mode with the body and receive spirit, but you do eventually get there. Right. And it, it is, it, but there is a priming process because I'm assuming you don't get dizzy anymore. So your body is right. used to this energy that is coming in, but it's not as, in, is it not as intense as a trans channel that kind of like their body gets taken over. So it's a, a very different energy that comes through. Correct. Correct. Now, uh, Marianne, I have to ask you, because this is a question I get asked all the time, and I'd love to hear your points of view on on what's going on. The world seems to be up in the in chaos. Uh, many people think it's getting worse. People think it's getting better. What is your opinion of, from your perspective, what is going on currently for us as a, as a species, as a, as a consciousness? And where do you see this going a year from now and maybe a, you know, a decade from now or something like that, if you can tap into that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll preface anything I say with this, that I don't watch the news. <laughs> good, good. Very good. I don't. Um, and I think that, and I guess I'll just comment on that because uh, uh, to begin with is that, you know, a lot of folks like myself and, and uh, you know, if, if you're psychic, mediumistic, if you're empathic, it can be really damaging to yourself to absorb all of the negative things that are going on universally. Um, and so as much as you want to be a global citizen, and, and I do, and I am in the ways that I can, I also have to take care of me first. I have to do that. And most psychics and mediums, most of us have to do that. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm aware, but I don't uh, entrench myself in all of the goings on um, you know, it's it, over the last few years, I've had a number of, you know, experiences and dis discussions with colleagues and, um, and folks about, you know, how we look back, maybe say 500 years ago, and how if you maybe stole bread somewhere, you might be executed in the middle of a town square, and that was acceptable, and people would come and view it, and it was quite entertaining, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And, um, and it's, it's, I think it's hard in the moment, especially when we have tough times to see that we're going anywhere better. I think you have to look, it's almost like looking at geologic time. You have to look at a larger scale to see sort of like a trajectory that we may be on. If I look back, you know, in recorded time, it seems that we continue to change consciousness for the better over time. Um, with blips in between, you know, where we may backtrack and then we may bump ahead again. I have no reason to feel that that anything different is is changing. I think evolution, like we talked about, we talked about the microcosm and the macrocosm. I mean, everything is evolving all the time. Mm -hmm. Devolving happens maybe in small spurts and then, you know, something is created out of that. And so I think that, mm -hmm. you know, our, our experience from a humanity perspective I think that we'll continue. I feel that we'll continue to to change upward in consciousness, but that doesn't mean that we don't have catastrophic events and occurrences on, on that process. Because I also feel like, you know, that chaos is also required in the creation of new, right? Because we have to reach some destruction point um, for some of the things that need to be destructed. And in order to get there, it's chaotic. Um, and so I think that that's part of our experience to come still, as will always be the case. Well, yeah, I mean, you, sometimes you need to, you need a forest fire to happen naturally in order to have all this new growth come out, because if not, the old growth is holding the new growth from coming up. So essentially, it's not pretty. Right. Um, 
but it's uh, it's 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 it has to happen. Now, what are your takes? Uh, what are your um, perspectives on artificial intelligence and where this is all going with us and uh, how it's affecting not only us in the physical way, but how this is going to affect us spiritually moving forward? Well, it's a, it's an interesting question. You know, I actually on the many iterations of my second book, I had to go back and add a chapter about it. it it's specific to mediumship, but mediumship in the age of technology, because it changes. It changes how we connect with each other. Um, and right. you know, the first version I wrote of my book was pre-COVID, and then it was just released in in March of this year. Um, and so I had to go back because I didn't, you know, pre-COVID, I'm not thinking about needing to talk about technology and different levels of intelligence in and how it relates to spiritual practice. But now we have to. Now we have to address that. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, and, you know, in terms of AI, I think that it's such a plain, it, it, you know, when I talk about these things, they're just plain sort of viewpoints, but I have a very like even keeled view of things. Um, I tend to not have polarized views on things, um, mostly because it's, it's not necessary for me to, but I think that um, things happen before you know it mm-hmm. with, with, AI, you know, like I have two young kids and, um, you know, I would say maybe a couple of years ago, uh, even technology based, I was far more intelligent than them. And I had a handle on everything that they were doing and in oh. a very short period of time, they have become like globally aware of things. I mean, like my kids are like one is nine and one is not yet 14. So, you know, they, they are so connected beyond, you know, their little, you know, universe around them immediately and they are so technologically beyond where I am I think most of the time um and so that's a little bit it's a little bit frightening because it also there's a there's there's a a kind of a a drawing out of you know regular sort of like human characteristics so for example lots of their interactions are are virtual and then that also means that it's like false intimacy false connection it's like they talk to people you know digitally but then right. in person there's no real connection there but that's but that could be something to be worried about because you know um that you know human interaction like face to face um and and like real dialogue versus virtual i think that that creates stronger connection than than digital and then as i say just before you know it you know the whole world has changed around you so it's a little bit of a slippery slope especially with young people but but i will say that it you know it it appears that that's the direction that we're going into and there's also you know an aversion for young people to connect face to face with people you know who yeah. picks up a telephone ever, anymore everyone is just texting each other um, and so, you know, that's normal for young people. And so I'm not sure, you know, what does that mean? Because if we can't connect and develop compassion for people, which, and I don't, it's not that we can't digitally, but I think that, you know, connecting with people on a personal level, it's different. So I think it's something that we have to be aware of. And certainly as parents or citizens, I think that we have to create opportunities that allow face-to-face connection still. Um, otherwise, I think that it can create isolation effects for young people and and adults as well. And I think I, I, it's something we have to manage and be aware of. It's kind of a you know an uninteresting answer, but that's probably as much as I thought about it. 
Now, as far as um, I could tell you a quick story is that I had I was at a restaurant and I saw these two teenagers, 16, 15, 16, 17, and they were having the most awkward first date I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the most awkward thing. This guy's knee did not stop shaking the entire trip, the entire time. He didn't even touch his meal. He was so nervous. And you could see she you could see there was no chemistry between them. It was just but then like towards the end of the date. They both pulled out their phones and they just started like just checking whatever. And you just saw them become much more relaxed. Relaxed. And, um, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm at home now. And I was wondering in my head, I'm like, are they texting each other right now? Because mm-hmm. that would be really weird. It was yeah. just, it's, it, you know, my whole family looked at it and we were st- watching them the entire, we were stalking them the entire meal. And I'm just like, wow, this is really remarkable. Um, but I agree with you on everything in regards to technology. Have you been able to tap into anything in regards to AI? Because that's such a question. Because look, there's the Terminator AI or there's Mm -hmm. the everything. It's just going to help us all out kind of AI. I lean towards it's going to help you help us out a little bit more than the Terminator aspect of things. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I I agree. And I have. Um, Um. And I mean, a number of years ago, I mean, I mean, who's I mean, we've done so many interesting things in our lives but i remember in a um uh, what was it called um uh, a retreat uh mm-hmm. you know a friend group we we liked to and I, we, we would every year you know create a peak experience somewhere and in one of our retreat weekends we decided to do some contact with ets um and that was interesting uh, from a physical phenomenon seeing things happening in the skies sure. etc um, but also receiving information um you know i do a lot of work in um healing work you know healing auras um clearing auras you know i i do work in shamanic extraction um and i never do that work alone there are always other beings there that are not only just participating in the process and helping but also providing me with information that has nothing to do with me at all um and so um i I do have that contact i have it has always been helpful to me um i don't think of it in the sensationalized version like terminator things <laughs> but mm-hmm. um but the, in saying that as much as there are you know benevolent energies and intelligences in the universe and in the cosmos at large um you know there are also lower energies that don't want to be helpful and that aren't and you know can be malevolent to certain degrees um and so we have to be aware of those too do you think that spirit can influence ai it's just fascinating the whole concept because I'm using AI, I use AI all the oh. time and it's fascinating. And like, and I was like, Hey, is spirit, like, I just had the question the other day, like, is spirit kind of guiding what is being said by the, by the, I mean, I'm just curious about that. Your, your point of view. Well, maybe, maybe you could illustrate with an example. So if, if you're, if you're asking deep questions about something in AI, so you go to chat GPT and you're asking deep questions or you're mm-hmm. helping write an article about something, is it kind of like, is, is, is spirit using AI to get the message to you just as they would use a song on the radio that you need to hear mm-hmm. at the right time mm-hmm. or, or a yeah. television show or something along those lines? For sure. And I think that that's absolutely possible. Not only is it possible, I think that that happens all the time. I think that mm-hmm. happens all the time. I think that spirit is constantly trying to reach through our dimension to make contact with us. And they're incredibly powerful and capable of doing that. Um, so long as we're willing to receive it, 
right? Um, so I think that it does happen all the time. Um, I never, I don't believe in uh, um, uh, coincidences at all. Uh, I, I, I never believe that they occur. Everything is synchronistic. Um, everything is uh, in that sense where you have the same message coming at you from multiple venues. You know, there's meaning in that. You have to be able to receive it and see it. So yes, I think that spirit influences um, AI, but any type of information pathway that could lead to us, I think that they can and do influence it. Now, as we are continuously shifting as uh, spiritually and going through this kind of great shift of consciousness, which is happening right now, just like you and I are have, being able to have this very open and interesting conversation about psychic mediumships, where I'm assuming when you first started, not so much publicly, <laughs> right? Yes, that's right. So there is definitely some some moving. Where do you feel that the traditional beliefs or traditional religious dogmas that we've been hampered with for thousands of years at this point, how will they sh shift? Will they shift or will they just kind of vibrate out? Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't foresee that, um, you know, you know, dog dogmatic practices and, you know, indoctrinating uh, experiences for people in a religious context. I don't think that that um, leaves our experience, you know, as a, as a species, um, uh, you know, certainly not in, in, in my, or maybe a couple of lifetimes to come. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I do feel like, you know, folks that don't subscribe to, you know, particular doctrines, um, I, I feel that our experience will, as you sort of say, you know, allow you know, that reality that does exist in the universe to vibrate out of our experience, it becomes inconsequential, it becomes unconcerning it. And, and when you, you know, when you don't acknowledge something, or it doesn't have meaning to you, it doesn't hold place in your universe, then you experience it less and less and less and less, and it falls away from you. Um, and so and, and that's not and, it, and it's not a judgment, people need to connect with what they feel called to connect with, that's important. Um, no matter what that thing is, um, you know, if it's not, not harming someone, I think that that's important to subscribe to whatever you need to subscribe to. Um, but I think that more and more people are having conversations like we are having today. And I think that that's, um, a, you know, an illustration that we're heading in, in a direction of more openness, acceptance, love, right? Like think of like the highest consciousness, right? It's like, we could come up with all these names, which are all iterations of love, but it's love. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Right. And so if we step, as we step deeper into that identity, then these conversations, no matter who it is talking about it, no matter what variation, no matter what the subject matter, it's always all, it's okay, you know, and that it's acceptable and that we can acknowledge, you know, the value of whatever it is that someone is practicing, whatever it is someone is teaching. Um, and I think that those that don't hold that level of acceptance, I think that will still exist. But for those of us that may be continuing that journey of deeper love, deeper power, deeper intelligence for ourselves and for others, you know, we just allow those others that are incongruent to that reality to vibrate out and they'll still occupy their own spot in the universe. We just won't share that space very much. Now, how do you think that our relationship is going to evolve with the planet itself? I mean, we've been pretty 
destructive with our planet uh last couple hundred years specifically um but it's been able but that fueled where we are right now without that kind of destruction that we've done and abuse of the of, of the planet we wouldn't be here but now we're here where do you see our relationship how how is our relationship because this can't i mean another five this is five thousand years at this pace we're 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 basically Easter Island. We're going to self-destruct. So where do you see us going with the relationship to the planet? Well, I mean, I have a couple of viewpoints on it. One is that I really do believe more and more as, you know, we continue to advance as a, as a, you know, human, human race, that necessity can be the mother of invention. And it is all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, um, you know, interestingly, in another phase of my life, you know, I taught at the post-secondary level, um, sustainable resource management. And so I talked a lot about this subject matter. Um, And, you know, I'm optimistic in the sense that um, technology to, you know, probably a very high degree can help us um, in terms of our relationship with and how we're impacting, affecting, living on, footprinting on earth. Um, I think that that's one aspect of it that I feel like we can look after um and do better and elongate you know the viability of being here but on the other hand you know nature is alive it it is spirit you know it, it is energy it is real um it is animated and i you know i visit places all the time you know on my on my show ghosts of dufferin county and beyond i get called out to locations that need to be cleared from sometimes from ghosts sometimes there's spirits of the land sometimes the land is scarred based on something that has occurred previously mm-hmm. or is happening now um and so i think that we need to become more aware of um you know the alive nature of the natural world and so understanding and seeing ourselves as stewards of, you know, I, I have a farm and I have many acres and I don't call myself the landowner. I call myself the steward of this place. And um, I think that as long as we keep thinking, as, as long as a number of, you know, a good number of the population see the natural world as not having a choice, then I think we abuse that. Um, And I think the more that we can cultivate, especially younger generations to understand that, you know, this tree has a feeling, right? It has feeling, it has animation, it has life force, and you should honor that the same as you would for a person and ask and check or rebuild or do better. Um, I think that if we can cultivate those attitudes, I think that that that's necessary. And I think that'll take us in a better direction than say my generation or the generation before me or the one before that, you know, um, participated, you know, um, in activities on the earth. I think that we have to do that. Now, Marianne, I'm going to ask you a few questions to ask all my guests. What is your definition of living a fulfilled life? Hmm. Good question. Um, I think living on purpose is, is important. The trouble with that loaded statement of living on purpose is fulfilling is how do you identify purpose, right? right? Because purpose, purpose isn't a role. Purpose isn't a role. It's not, a, it's not a position you occupy, right? A sole purpose is particular qualities, soul qualities, or, or, or iterations of love in some way that you express through your body, your physical body, your emotional body, your mental body, it's soul expressing through you. So 
if we can identify what those qualities are, and there are a number of ways to do that, one basic one um, would be to look back at the things that you, one, really enjoy and things, two, that you're really good at, because that'll give you clues as to which qualities you are here to express and share, not only with yourself, but more importantly, with other people. So if we can identify soul purpose and, under, and, and identify what it is that we're here to express, whether it's compassion, whether it's kindness, whether it's discernment, whether it's um, intelligence, light, love, um, goodwill, whatever that might be. If we can discover what that is or what those things are and then express them through whatever role is a match to that, okay? So whether that role is your vocation or it's your hobby or it's your role at home or whatever that is, it doesn't matter. If we can find out, identify what those qualities are and find the activities that allow us to express those qualities, then we'll feel like we're living on purpose. When we live on purpose um, and we continue to learn and we continue to evolve, I think that that brings us into a state of fulfillment. If you can go back in time and talk to little Marianne, what advice would you give her? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell her that it's okay to be you exactly as you are, even though that looks different than other people. How do you define God? Oh, that's a big one too. <laughs> um, I don't use the term God. Um, Source but I energy. Could. Source energy. Yeah, no, of course. Like yeah. yeah. Um, gosh, that's tricky. Um, I would say... You know, we all have, when I think about spirit or I think about the universe, which is kind of probably the same concept as God, um, I think of the most innate qualities in a soul, which also is the most basic and neutral state of universal energy, which is like truth and beauty and goodness, like power, love and intelligence. And I think that those are the common qualities that all of us possess as unique expressions of consciousness. Um, and so when I think of God, that's what I think of. I think of energies. What, do, what is the energy of God? You know, what, what is common to all things at its most base level before distortion? And it's those qualities. And that's what I, that's what I think of as God. And I think that God is not separate from us, right? That we make up the totality of all mm -hmm. of us together. Um, it's not a, you know, an intelligence outside of us. It's not a, an individual either. Um, that's right. my perception of God. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? To experience. What I know from spirit is, you know, we, we so often get it wrong that we're here to learn something or that we're here to evolve. Um, and that would be great. And, and, and a lot of us do do those things. But I also know that it's not a necessity. And this kind of trips people up sometimes when I talk about it, and, and you might feel the same way. But, mm -hmm. you know, I've worked with so many spirit people, um, you know, who are, you know, newly transitioned, been transitioned for a very long time, and they all say the same thing. And so many of them have the experience where when they were here in the physical world, they couldn't, they either didn't have the intelligence by virtue of like their biological makeup or they didn't have willpower enough, they didn't have circumstance enough to process some kind of learning based on either experiences they had or what they observed or witnessed within a life, sometimes traumatic and hard things. 
um, they couldn't do the learning. They couldn't integrate learning, even if they did do the learning. Some of them couldn't integrate the learning when they were here in the physical world. And so, you know, some people might look at that life of someone that, you know, had a really rough go. They, they, they might have been involved in addiction. They might have been in mental, Ill, mental, mental illness. They may have hung out with a bad crowd, made bad decisions for themselves, all kinds of things. And then they find themselves at the end of their life. And someone might say, what a waste, right? What a waste. But it's never a waste. What I know from spirit is that what we're here to do is to, is to experience something, to know something. Whether you learn from it, become better, more evolved from it in this lifetime is totally irrelevant. The idea is that we have contrast or duality here in the physical world that doesn't exist in the spirit world. And the only way to experience contrast or duality is to be here incarnate. And so the learning ground, the learning, the, the experiencing ground has to be here in the physical world. If we can process the learning and integrate and evolve here, great. But if we don't, because of any of the num a number of the reasons that I mentioned, any of those limiting factors that may be at play within one's life, what I know from spirit is that all we needed to do here was experience it. But we can do the processing, the learning, and the evolving from that experience on the other side. We don't need to be in a body to do that. And so what I know from spirit is we're not here to learn lessons. We're here to experience, to know something, to become sensitized to it, to understand it at a deeper level, simply to see it, um, so that we can then do something with that We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And if we can all do that throughout the series of lives, then our consciousness continues to evolve, right? And so that kind of goes back to your question earlier, Alex, when you were talking about, you know, what's the process for humanity's blueprint? What does that look like for us? If all of us make up that God energy, or if all of us make up, you know, mass consciousness and beyond, then if each of us are having experiences here, whether we're processing them, learning and integrating here, or we're doing it on the other side, by the time we come into another life, we have done that. So then that is to say we could reasonably expect that over time, all of us will continue to shift upward in consciousness and become more loving. Beautiful answers to those questions. Thank you so much. Where can people find out more about you and the amazing work you're doing in the world? sure so my website is maryannkennedy.ca and um, i do do social media but mostly facebook so that's spiritual media marianne kennedy um and of course both of my books are available in all major retailers in the u.s and in canada um my second book was just released a couple of months ago and we moved to I think number one best selling in the first one or two days um, nice. And so it's being received really well um, in North America and also in the UK. So you can check me out there. And do you have any parting messages for the audience? Stay in your power. Marianne, it has been a pleasure talking to you, my dear. Thank you so much for being on the show and for the amazing stuff that you're doing to awaken the planet. So I appreciate you, my dear. Thank you, Alex. <sighs> I'd like to thank Marianne so much for coming on the show and sharing her knowledge and gifts with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 309. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.